we are, we're going to be in Matthew. We're, what we're going to do is study the week in history before Jesus was crucified. That's what we're stud- that's what we're planning on going through. And we're starting a good start with Matthew 21. We're not going to just stay in Matthew, but we're going to be bouncing around. We're going to spend a lot of time in John. Uh, but Matthew 21 and 22 is the account of what we know as Palm Sunday. And it's actually two days, Palm Sunday and the day following, that he goes in and does some amazing things in the temple. So how many of you read Matthew 21 and 22? Whoa. That's caught me a little off guard. There was, did you really? <laughs> oh no, I believe you. I'm just kidding. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, uh, I was prepared to have fewer hands. But for those that, you know, there was a, you know the one about the monk. Some of you know about the monk that uh, didn't really like to speak. And so it was his turn to give the, the message. And so he just didn't want to speak. And so uh, he got up in front of everybody and he says, uh, how many of you know what I'm going to say? Those, his fellow monks were in the service. And he said, how many knows what I'm going to say? And, and, and of course, nobody raised their hand. And he says, well, I don't know either. So he sat down. And of course, the guy in charge got a little upset about it and told him off. He says, you got it again tomorrow just for that. So he comes up and he says, how many of you know what I'm going to say? Well, the monks were ready for him this time, so they all raised their hands. And he says, well, then you don't need me to tell you. And he s- sat down. And so he really got reamed out that day. That, and he says, you got it again tomorrow. And so he comes up there and he looks at him and he says, How many of you know what I'm going to say? Well, half of them raised their hands and the other half didn't. And so he looked out and said, let them that know, tell them that don't and sat down. So how many of you know what I'm going to say? (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. Well, well, I was prepared to do something else and I'm still going to do it because I just want to do it. I just believe the Lord's want me to do it too. But uh, we're going to look at uh, 1st uh, Timothy, excuse me, 2nd Timothy. I made that mistake once before. Uh, chapter 1. 2nd Timothy chapter 1. Verse 9. This is a really rich verse. We could preach on this uh, half a dozen different ways from Sunday and uh, never run out of material on this particular verse. I am, have always been, ever since I first heard someone just share on this verse, it's just been, I just can't get over it. And it's just magnificent. 
And what's always surprised me is I've never heard anybody preach on what is this verse is ended, how this verse ends. And uh, except for this one person, it was Derek Prince. And so uh, we're going to look at this just real quick and uh, talk about one particular aspect of this verse. And it's talking about God before that. God who has saved us. Notice that's a past tense, saved us, past tense. And called us, past tense, with a holy calling, not according to our works, that's great, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, and this is the part that's really just kind of like overwhelming, and that is, which was given to us, or given us, the way King James says, given to us, in Christ Jesus before the world began. So that God the Father and shows that before the world began was with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so he had given us, which meant we were there somehow. You might not remember being there, but we were there somehow. It talks about in Psalm 139, our members have had been written in his book, yet having not been formed. And so we were with God in heaven, in Christ, before the world began. And he promised us numerous things. We, you know, this is just one verse. He saved us. He called us with a holy calling. Saved us, called us with a holy calling. Uh, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. There's four things. Saved us, called us, purpose, and grace. Um, one person came up with a, um, a way of sharing their faith. And uh, we know it as the uh, four spiritual laws. There are other names of it called the Roman Road, because you can find all of these verses in the book of Romans. And the four spiritual laws is the first law is this. And if you start a conversation with somebody, you can start it with this spiritual law, that there is a God. So that's it. You know, it's um, Dale Moody once said, if you can just get a hold of the first verse, then everything else in the Bible shouldn't be too much of a problem. And you know what the first verse is? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the first spiritual law is there is a God and he loves us and he has a purpose for our life. So that's the first spiritual law. God loves us and he has a purpose for our life. Uh, And it's just a logical thing. You know, if you believe that there is a God, if you don't, then we don't have much further to go with that. But if you say, well, I just do believe there is a God. And if you do believe a God, then he has created us. He is our creator and he loves us and he created us for a purpose. Now, uh, I understand that Mark Twain was not a believer in God, but he met, he once said something that was very true. And that was this. That the two greatest days of a person's life is the day they were born and then the day they find out why. 
It says you were created and you were created for a purpose. And so then the, the rest of it is, but sin separates us from God so that God cannot fulfill his purpose in our lives. He cannot love us and, and save us and fulfill our purpose because sin. So God, so there had to be, that's what the second spiritual law, the, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You find it in Romans, Romans 3.23. And then you have the third spiritual law is God made a way to save us from our sin. And that way is in Jesus Christ. So that Jesus came, that's, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross. He was crucified on the cross, bore our sins, and he was raised together for our justification. So he was bruised for our iniquity and he was raised together. Uh, I want to read to you something before I go on out of my Schofield Bible. This is just a, a reference Bible and it has a lot of wonderful quotes in it or wonderful references and a wonderful commentaries in it. And this is out of my uh, Schofield Bible and it's about the word salvation where it says he saved us and and, and uh and it simply says this, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek words for salvation implied in that, you know, the word save and the other word salvation comes from a root of this. The word save means so is the Greek word sozo. It's pretty easy to remember. And then it says this, uh, the Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance. Safety, preservation, healing, soundness, and salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes as justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification, and glorification. And that's just a third or fourth of what he says here. I'll just stop right there though. But it's that all-inclusive word. Now, here's the deal, see. God saved you because he's got a calling on your life and because for a purpose. It's not just, you know, God, Jesus came to save sinners. That is one of the reasons he came. But he also came to save sinners for a purpose. And that purpose was God has a purpose for their life. And it's, that's, this is a really interesting word in the Greek. For some of you don't know, the Bible was originally written in Greek. And uh, this word is just an amazing word where it says it's purpose. It is a, it's, there's actually an English word for it, uh, which is uh, the same as the Greek word, and it's prothesis, right? If you look up the word prothesis, I'll tell you what it means in a minute in the dictionary. But the word prothesis in the Greek is interpreted purpose, but not all the time. Sometimes in the New Testament, Testament it is uh, translated shewbread or showbread. And that that's comes from the Old Testament. And it was a thing that, that they did. In, and Jesus said he fulfilled all the laws, all, uh, all of the things that was done in the Old Testament, all the things that were done in the tabernacle of Moses and in the temple and such and such was done. Jesus fulfilled them. He accomplished them. You read the book of Hebrews and you can see that he did it all. 
He is the sacrifice. He is the priest that, that put, made the sacrifice because he gave his life willingly. He is the, the furniture. He is the utensils. He is everything that's in the temple. And so one of the things that, ha- what, that they would do in the tabernacle and in the temple after the temple was built is that they had this, this thing that, the, that they would take wheat and they would make, uh, the priest would make 12 loaves of bread. And the 12 loaves of bread would be like without, without, um, yeast in them. And so they would be something like what we would call flat bread. And they, the 12 loaves of bread represented a loaf for each tribe of Israel. And they would put them up on a, uh, on, on altar, a table of altering. And even they had specific uh, dimension, dimension, oh no, I'm having dimension right now. <laughs> uh, you know what, what word I was trying. Anyway, like we had on that table, but we kind of moved them higher. <laughs> you know, uh, if you were here last week, you'd know why. Uh, <laughs> and so there would be the, this table that, that uh, would, they would have two plates that would be covered up and they would have a, a goblet uh, full of wine and uh they by the uh to the to the right of the uh the the shoe bread the showbread that was called the showbread to the right of the showbread would be a censer with with incense on it which represented praise and worship in the old testament and then there would be the golden candlestick and Jesus was all of the furniture and all of the sacrifice and everything. But this 12 loaves of bread actually was a form of the communion in the beginning. There was a communion in the Passover, but there was also a communion in the Sabbath celebrations when they would have the 12 loaves of bread. And those loaves of bread were called the show bread. It was actually, and it, there's a connection between the word purpose and show bread. Because the word showbread simply means what it is. You show the bread. Because the bread would be made one week in advance before it was consumed. And it would be left out for everybody to see. Although it would be covered up for, you know, to keep it fresh. But it would be the showbread. You could see the bread. One of the other words for the, for the word is it would call the face bread. And it was like the face because it had the implication that by eating this bread, then you could see the face of God through the eating of the bread. It would be the bread represented God, and therefore you could see his face. And I have a theory, by the way, that I would like to have never shared this before. I say it's a theory. I, uh, um, I believe it. Uh, you can take it or leave it, all right? Well, you can take, take it or leave anything I say for that matter. But this one particularly is just recent for me. And that is this. When Jesus was crucified, there, the, the veil that was between the holy place in the temple and the holy of holies was rent in two from top to bottom. And it refers to that in the, in the, uh, first Corinthians, uh, excuse me, second Corinthians, the third chapter talks about how when that veil was split, something was suddenly made available. It will, it actually goes back to when Jesus was born 
And it says, when Jesus was born, the glory of the Lord was made of flesh and dwelt among us. And we could behold the glory of the Lord. Now, something that could not happen before that is that before God was made flesh and we could look at him and it says we could see his face. You see, before that, if you looked at the face of God, you'd die. When Moses went up into the the mountain there to put the Ten Commandments together, he said, Moses says, I want to see your face, God. And God says, you cannot see my face. If you did, you would die. And he says, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. There's a little uh, crevice here in the wall. And he says, I'm going to put you in the crevice. And then I'm going to hold my hand up against uh, so you can't twist and turn. And then I'm going to walk by. And though you, I won't take my hand away until I get past and you can see the back of me. He said, boy, even that's going to be, you know, uh, pretty serious. It was so serious that when Moses came down out of the mountain, he had such a glow of light on him from the glory of God that the people couldn't look at Moses. And so they actually put a veil over his face. And that veil was a representation of the veil that was put in the Holy and Holy. It was, you know, they could not steadfast. And it even refers to that in Second Corinthians, the third chapter. It refers to that says, just as the veil was over Moses' face, so was the veil that was in the temple to keep them out of the where the glory of the Lord was because they couldn't stand to see it. And it says, which veil was done away in Christ. And it says, now we with an open face. And it's not, it's not our face that's open. It's his face. And we with an open face behold his face in a mirror. It says, as in a mirror. And the word of God is called a mirror in James. It says, we can look in the word of God and we can now behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And as, as uh, Pastor Chris was talking about how in, uh, that we want to worship the Lord to the point where we can be more in the, it's a process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so that veil is taken away in Christ. So we can now see his face because his glory, because it's converted into a, a different thing. Now, which is interesting because, you know, the, the writers of the epistles would clearly say, you know, the ones that actually saw Jesus uh, says we saw him and we touched him and everything. But you can see him in touching by believing. It says you were even more uh, blessed by believing when you have not seen, but you can see him spiritually by looking in the word of God. Everybody follow that? Okay, now here's the thing. We'll go back to this word purpose again. It means to, you know, it's like the face of God converted because the word showbread, it shows, it's a bread that the uh, all of Israel can see in the holy place that, that, that reveals the bread of life, which is Christ. Only they didn't know it then. It was symbolic then of what was going to happen in Christ. Everybody follow that so far? Okay. So this purpose, which is, this is really special because the word purpose means, uh, face bread. 
That's one of the names of it. And so what God wants to do and has done before the world began is he saved us and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own face bread, show bread. And these 12 loaves would be and and Jesus was representation. So when when we see the the communion uh, elements up here. We should be reminded that those 12 loaves of the showbread, this is the showbread. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the bread of life. Everybody follow that? And that's how, that's how important it is to understand that he has a purpose for, for our lives. Um, I just learned a couple of, a song a couple of weeks ago. I didn't learn it a couple of weeks. I've been working on it ever since. I don't know why. It's such an easy song to memorize. It's really, I really struggled with it. Uh, I can't, I can't even, it's hard for me to even remember the title. It's nothing else. It's simple. I don't know if you heard this song or not. Kaylee's led it a couple of Sunday nights, uh, uh, before. And so nothing else. And what the po- uh, point of the song is nothing else. I don't need anything else, you know. And uh, it starts about, uh, the song starts about, uh, I'm, law, I'm caught up in your presence. And, uh, and, and it just goes on to say, I don't need anything. I just need you, Jesus. I just need you. And that's, that's really beautiful. Now, why did I bring that up? Well, as far as purpose is concerned, God saved you, called you, not with, called you with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his purpose, his own purpose, which was given to you before the world began. That is a purpose which is so much greater than our finite mind can seem to, to, to grasp. You know, I, I always thought that maybe people don't bring, uh, point out that this was given to them before the world began. Uh, there's other scriptures. In Titus, it says that God promised eternal life before the world began. It says in Romans 8 that God foreknew us and he promised us, he, uh, he promised us uh, justification, redemption, all the things that was talking about with salvation. It talks about in Ephesians that he, before the world began, that he called us and he has chosen us in him before the world began. So there's so many verses that talk about, and you don't hear anybody talking about it. And I always thought, well, maybe it's just too much for the, for the mind to wrap, to, for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, but then I thought, Maybe everything about God is a little too much for us to wrap our minds around. Speaking the universe into existence. Hey, if you can wrap your mind around that, you can certainly wrap your mind around that you were called and chosen and uh, God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life that was birthed in Christ spoken in Christ, covenanted in Christ. We were in him then, and it was spoken to us. How I don't, I guess, but about the best way I can understand it is, you know, how many of you have ever said I was in my mother or my father's loins, you know, genetically, I was there. I was in Adam when he sinned. So were you. 
If you know your Bible, that's what it says. We were in Adam. But if we could be in Adam when he sinned and in Christ when he was crucified, then I could have been in Christ before the world began if God says it. It's just, it's just so. But this purpose is so, be, you know, and I, I made some a comment last week and I just want to clarify this. I adore Tim Tebow. I think he's just, I just love him to pieces. And I just glad, and when I see a great athlete or a great actor or a great singer or whatever, great, a great talent, uh, be out front with their faith, that just blesses me to no end. Okay. I mean, I'm just blessed by that. So please do not misunderstand me when I say this, that Tim Tebow, and I heard him say this, is that he was talking about, you know, God had, God's purpose for his life was to play football. And I'm, God's purpose can be fulfilled in somebody playing football, but that's not his purpose. That's not God's purpose for your life. God's purpose for your life is way beyond that. And I heard another statement just recently. I, I, I was talking about this song, Nothing Else. And it's, uh, I heard several versions of it. I mean, all the same words, but several different uh, recordings of it. I've watched several different live and so forth. And so after one, uh, a gal gets up and starts preaching. And I'm like, oh, she was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> Boy, this was really good. And I really loved it. And uh, she said something very clear. There's nothing in this book whatsoever about God fulfilling your dreams. Nothing in here about your dreams. Unless you're like me, where it says old men dream dreams. That's a, but it doesn't mean he fulfills my dreams. He is my dreams. Hello? And the purpose of God for my life is to please him. And I'm not to follow my dreams. That is so sad. God doesn't want you to follow your dreams. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to follow Jesus. Be ye followers of God as dear children. Walk in love, even as he hath loved us and gave himself for us. Be followers of God. Be followers of Christ. And I like what this person says. Be followers of God and your dreams will follow you. Hello? You know, everybody talks about, I had a guy, I remember this kid at Teen Challenge. He came up and he says uh, to me, uh, he, he was always in trouble. His name was Martinez. And he was always in trouble. And he wanted to get the weekend off. And there wasn't one chance in a lot for him to get this weekend off. And he had to go through the student committee to do it. And the student committee says, you really think you're going to get the weekend off? And he says, yeah. Well, first of all, he says, well, with God's luck, I will. I mean, Pink Challenge people didn't know always the best way of expressing things, you know. God's luck. Okay. Okay. And he says, besides, God said that he would. 
He said he would give me the desires of my heart. And I said, <laughs> there's just one little thing wrong with Martinez. There's just one thing a little wrong with that. The verse you're quoting actually says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I, I, I don't I, It's kind of hard for me to picture you, de, you delighting yourself in the Lord and you're getting in trouble every single day with the rules, you know. It just don't, doesn't, doesn't work that way. But hey, sure, what happens if you delight yourself in the Lord? You don't have dreams anymore. You have, you just dream of him. You just dream of his will. What pleases him? You know, when we pray, we, we, what, what we pray for is his will be done on earth. In us. When we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see, when the, there are periods of time, and in God's frame of reference, every second is precious. He gives us a gift of time, and every second is precious. But there's been periods of time uh, in our existence that, now I can go back even before time began, where he promised it before the world began. But there's been periods of time. What would be, you know, it's like one person says, you know, when they teach history in school, you ever, when you were learning history in school, did you learn about the first man and the first woman? No, you didn't learn about Adam and Eve, right? Because they don't believe that Adam and Eve was the first man of earth. They, they think Lucy was, you know, for those of you that know what I'm talking about. You guys know who Lucy is, right? Not the one in, with her sky and the diamonds and all that. No, the first person, <laughs> the first person monkey that started walking upright and, you know, there's the... Sorry, I can't help myself. You know, um, professing themselves to be wise, anyways. So, anyways, you know, the first man and the first woman. Don't you think that's kind of an important event in our history? Yeah, that's kind of left out of the history books. Uh, probably the next event. You know, Mark Twain says. The most important day was the day that you were born. <laughs> no, it wasn't. The most important day was right there. When I was in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world was ever even created. That was the most important day. The most important day, it was an important day when I was created on earth. Okay? But the next important day is when Jesus Christ was crucified and was raised from the dead. Three days, third day. That's a pretty important day. But you know what goes on here? And this is what, this is why I, I'm bringing this up. The whole life of Christ is vastly important. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. All scripture. But there are some that are even more important than others. 
I think one, for example, is for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's a pretty important verse. But the, the week before Jesus is crucified is paramount. The resurrection, paramount. The week after, the 40 days after the resurrection, paramount. When the disciples, I used to say one of the most important days, and is the most important day, was in Acts 15 when it was decided by the church that the Gentiles were not going to become Jews. That they were going to take a different road because of Amos 9.9. You need to study that sometime. Amos 9.9.10-11. Okay, so the week before Jesus is going to be crucified, Palm Sunday when he comes in, What happens in these two chapters in Matthew is there is so much going on. And what's really sad, and I'll put myself in the same boat that all of us are in, the whole church is in. and, And I just get a glimpse. I got a glimpse. And I think you've got a glimpse too. But we can't, I, I just don't believe we see it. The way uh, I, I listen to a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, I think that we, we misses something here. And do you know what we're missing? Is the two days that Jesus is in the, the, the temple there. He's not really from the, all the things that are going on in, in this two days are so paramount importance. And what's really sad is the Jews, because see, one of the things that is happening right here at this time, in these two weeks, and it starts those two days he's in the temple, is that he is going to reveal that because the Jews rejected him, because they, he came unto his own, according to John, the first chapter, and his own received him not. Because they rejected him, the Messiah the true Messiah is he was going to go to the Gentiles. And those two days is revealed there. And what's really sad is they got it better than we get. You understand? The Jews, they were hopping mad. One of the reasons they crucified him is because he was saying that. And it's the very first day. And we're going to go over this scripture verse by verse by verse. There are a number of parables and nearly every one of the parables is saying what I just said. Jesus is saying, you rejected me and now I'm going to the Gentiles. God is going to save the Gentiles. And he he goes and he says, even when he goes, when he starts to go into to Jerusalem Jerusalem the second day, there's this fig tree that's. Should have had, I don't want to go into it, but I can tell you it should have had fruit on it. Even though it was not the time, okay? And he curses that fig tree, and that's the very first time in the life of Christ you see him cursing anything. As a matter of fact, when you see in Luke the fourth chapter, when he starts 
saying the Spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and set at liberty those that are bruised and help the brokenhearted and open the prison doors and all these things. There's another another verse in there to bring judgment again, you know, uh, that says judgment. This is the first time he brings judgment is against this little fig tree. And, you know, a lot of people think, you know, Jesus is pretty mean to curse that little tiny fig tree. You know. Do you know what that fig tree represented? The nation of Israel. It did. In Jeremiah, it talks about the nation of Israel is like a, fig, a bag of figs that are rotting. Jeremiah said that I didn't. And well, let me go on. Let me be perfectly clear. I don't hate Jews. Oh my goodness! There is. I I believe Paul says that that he's bringing us both together. I don't know. You know, I remember when I was a junior in high school. One of my best friends was Joel Feingold. Boy, I'm, we were just close friends. One of my best friends, and uh, he got me into throwing the shot put in the discus and in in, uh, in, in in when I was a sophomore in high school. And so we hung around together. We run together. And I w- went over to his house, and I was in his house. And his father comes into me to talk to me, and he says, "Do you go to church?" And well, at those days, you know, everybody in Texas went to church one time or another. And so I thought, "Oh, I'm a Christian." Besides that, I did get saved in the third grade. So, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a Christian. And so he says, well, do, do you hate Jews? And I said, no. Why? I said, wasn't Jesus a Jew? <laughs> How could I hate Jews? Jesus was a Jew. And he was. Okay. And I do not hate Jews at all. I, I, you know, there's nothing. I'm just referring to something that he's dealing with the nation Israel. And he's going to go back to dealing with them another time. All right. But he's dealing with the nation Israel. And that whole thing, you know, when he curses the fig tree, it's a, it's a symbolic thing of what's happening. That's what's going to be happening in the temple. Because that's, that's another thing. When he goes in, and I, I, think, I know I said this last week, but it, this is too good to pass up. He goes into the temple, but it's not really considered the temple by the Jews. Because it's the outer courts that surrounded the temple all the way around it, and they were called the courts of the Gentiles. And it was where Gentiles who wanted to offer a sacrifice up to Jehovah God would come and they would buy animals to uh, offer up as sacrifices. But that place, they, the, the, the Jews, you know, it's, it's, I used to be a poker dealer, a professional poker dealer in Great Falls, Montana. And then uh, I, I know that what we did, when we, we, I worked in a casino. It was a poker city. And it was like, Boy, we're so happy to have you here. Yes, we're happy to have you. We're, 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 just, we're just so happy, 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 happy. You know, my boss had been a pit, bo- a pit boss in Las Vegas for like 25 years. And my boss would take us in the back and says, give the sucker whatever he wants. <laughs> but when he talked, we're so happy. <laughs> 
give the sucker whatever he wants. <laughs> That's the way everybody who worked in the business thought about the customers. A bunch of losers. You suckers. Because you just, we're just taking your money. You idiots. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. That was the Jews in the courts of the Gentiles. We're so happy to have you here. So, oh, to buy these animals, you're not, you're gonna have to use Jewish shekels, you know. Uh, but to, to, to have a Jewish shekel, you're gonna have to trade your money in. Oh, you know, fifty dollars worth, we'll give you a dollar, you know, for that. For that. Oh, and then when you go buy an animal, an animal you could pay for a quarter, you pay five dollars for, you know. And it was all a scam. And they were using the, they were taking the Gentiles, and you know how many, you know, uh, Josiah, 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 favorite uh, Christian historian, Josiah. Josiah said that on a given uh, Passover week, they would buy in the courts of the Gentiles 260,000 lambs. 260,000 lambs. And they were just taking them for a, for a cleaning and what does Jesus do? He beats those money changers and he beats those animal sellers, those sacrificers out of the temple. With He makes a cord of a whip and he starts whipping them out of the temple. Now, boy, does this make those Jews mad because that's their number one business here that's going on. Not only that, but then he quotes uh, Jeremiah 7-11 and he says this, my house shall be a house of prayer. Now, why is that really going to make them mad? Because they say, Don't, and, then, and the people are saying, Hosanna, 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 son of David. Do you not hear what the, and he said, and, and, and he was doing miracles and signs and wonders. And they said, they, they saw what he was doing and that made them mad. Why would that make them mad? Because that wasn't the temple to them. The temple was in the holy, holy place in the holy of holies. The temple was upset. That, that was the outside. And that they believed that the Messiah was going to come back and just take all the Gentiles and run them off and set up the kingdom of the world. And the Jews were going to be, and here he is going into the courts of the Gentiles and I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm healing you, I'm healing you and running the money changers out of the temple. And the priest, what I'm saying is the priest got a better idea of what was going on than we do. Because all of that was for us. Hello? I just wish, you know, I, I, I wish I could convey what I'm seeing. I hope, I, I believe, I'm praying for you. I pray for us all. Pray for my own stupid head. You know, like this person came up to Bob Mumford one time and says, Bob Mumford, lay hands on my head and impart the entire Bible in my mind so that I know every word. And Bob Mumford says, I don't know of such a prayer that would work. If I did, I'd lay hands on my own stupid head. (laughs) But we need to study. We need to know. We need to know. We need to read all these parables. And what, so what's going to happen when we start getting into this? We're going to find out four themes that are going to be related to what God's purpose really is for our lives. 
and it isn't to play in the NFL. I mean, let me get, I, I love those Christians that are playing the NFL. Don't get me wrong. And I'm loving it that they stand up and be bold in their faith and, and everything. And, and if I get close to Tim Tebow, you better believe that I'm going I'm to tell him how much I appreciate him. Okay. So don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that isn't it. Okay. He's beautiful brother in the Lord. But that's not it. Dr. J, beautiful brother in the Lord. One of my favorite basketball players. Christian. And he thought he was doing, he believed that he was, and you can, you can go to work wherever you are and do it for the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. You don't, you don't, you serve your bosses. Do it with, not with eye service as a men pleaser, but as a goodwill doing service as unto the Lord, according to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. You see, so you can do that. You, you know, whatever you do, doing all things whatsoever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. So I'm not saying that, you know, God's purpose can't be worked into whatever you're doing. I'm just saying that it's even greater than that. Because there's four themes that we find. Now, you've heard that to give God glory. Absolutely. We also know, you know, I shared the four spiritual laws a while ago. You know, uh, God loves you, has a plan for your life. Sin keeps him, keeps you from that. Jesus was the, was the doorway, the bridge of the doorway. And we receive him with faith by faith and, you know, accepting him. We had a lot of songs talking about giving your life to Christ today. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the beginning. That's the gospel, but that's the beginning. That's not the end. That is just the beginning. One of the things right at the end there, they ask him, says, what's the first of all commandments? He says, thou shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy... That's a quote from several places in the Bible. He's quoting... In Deuteronomy, there's in Deuteronomy the ninth chapter, Deuteronomy the tenth chapter, the thirtieth chapter, you know. Then there's several places in the other places in the Bible. And if you put them all together, it says God, God has created you to love Him with all your heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, emotions, soul, uh, might, strength, everything. I'm going to close with this. Put up Luke, the ninth chapter, starting with the 22nd verse. Luke 9, 22nd verse. Here we go. Okay. The Son of Man, and Jesus talking, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. That's the gospel, except that he, he did it to save us. Okay. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, how many of you want to go after him? Follow after Christ. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow him. Follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it.
But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what man is, and it goes in, and you just go on a little more here. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself? As other places says, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul and be cast away. <coughs> you think God wants you to be rich? Yes and no. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not, his, that's not what you were born to be. You weren't born to be rich. Hello? All right, did we go on in? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Next verse. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, what words was he talking about? Taking up his cross and following him, denying yourself. Of, uh, uh, ashamed of me and my words, and of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Another place, if he says, if, if uh, you do not confess me, Jesus said this, if you don't confess me before my Father, I'm not going to confess you before God. You feel con- If you feel a little condemnation there, it's not my fault. I didn't write this. <laughs> Hello? This is not a game. This isn't a game we're playing. This is eternal life. Not only eternal life future, eternal life past. This is a very serious business. And we, we need to throw ourselves into it completely, 